right. Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Kelsey Zeiser. I'm an editor here at Light Reading. And I'm Alan Bresnik. I'm the Cable Video Practice Leader at Light Reading and an editor and an analyst as well. And I'm Bob Kirkshank, and I am Managing Member of Power Networks. I'm also the Academia and National Laboratories Liaison at Cable Labs and a Research and Development Liaison at Grid Metrics. All right. Thanks for getting all those titles in there, Bob. appreciate that. Uh, so we're going to be talking about the power grid networks in the U.S. and the state of them and what can be done about them. So maybe let's start by asking you, what is the state of the U.S. power grid right now and how, how, how bad is it? The, the grid is undergoing unprecedented change. And in some ways, it's very similar to what the cable network was um, transforming 30 years ago. When we think about how cable went from one way to two way, you know, where we used to have all content was at the center and all storage was at the center. And, you know, when we went to two way, we had content creation and storage at the edge. Um, you know, the grid has, has some of the same kinds of characteristics. All the energy classically has been created at the center with centralized power plants. Mm -hmm. um, but now with distributed solar and storage, uh, you know, battery storage in people's homes, we actually have content creation and storage at the edge. Um, so, you know, it's kind of interesting that we've seen this movie before in some ways. Um, there's a whole bunch of things about how the grid is doing right now. And we can kind of go back and forth a little bit because I probably have more than I can say in one shot. But um, it's increasingly old. Parts of it are over 100 years old. It's outage prone. Um, recent outages have been more numerous and catastrophic, um, you know, leading to loss of uh, life and property, um, wildfires. Um, it's not as smart as people think it is. Your customers still have to call to declare outages. Um, it doesn't have the kind of sensors that we have in the broadband network. About 97% of the network is sensor starved. That's sort of the last mile of the grid. Um, demand is far exceeding supply. Um, demand is going to triple over the next bunch of years with what we call beneficial electrification, and we can talk more about that. Um, the coastal cost of energy has already tripled in New England. So if you think of tripling of usage and tripling of costs, you know, that means electric bills could go up by 10x in the next bunch of years, 10x. And that's, you know, a huge number. Wow. So do you see it just continuing to get worse or? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good point. I think if we don't step in, uh, there's no real white nights on the horizon to, to save the grid. Um, it is 100 years old, as I mentioned. Um, severe storms are ever more effective at battering it. Um, the supply side becomes less efficient. Our power plants are less efficient in extreme heat and cold. Um, there's a decline in what we call dispatchable power, meaning the power plants that are fueled by fossil fuels or nuclear power, they can be turned on and off. They can be dispatched at the flip of a switch. Um, and we need to now introduce dispatchable load with our broadband technologies. So if nothing is done, are we going to see a lot more emergencies like what happened in Texas uh, last winter? Yes, we absolutely will. We, we not only saw Hurricane um, Uri in Texas, um, but we saw, you know, enormous outages in the Northwest uh, and also in, in New York City last summer. Um, there will be more frequent, more cataclysmic outages. Um, and that's going to increase the costs for broadband operations. Um, it's going to create more loss of life and property. Um, you know, 800 people died during Hurricane Uri in Texas or more. Um, so it's a big deal. Okay. So what can we do about this? 
Well, it's interesting. Uh, I think of it like what has to be done. Um, it, it's, it's such an important question. We certainly can manage demand um, and monitor the grid. You know, when you think about the grid uh, and the cable network, you know, they're really coincident in the sense that they run down the street together. You know, they're on the same poles and they're plugged into each other all over the place. You know, every cable modem mm -hmm. that's plugged in is plugged into power and, and, to, um, and to the cable network. And then if you go back in the network, you know, like where our HFC power supplies are, where our amplifiers are, you know, think about the HFC coax hardline. Um, there's a lot of equipment there that is plugged into both as well. You know, it's powered by the grid um, and it's on the comms network. And it turns out that we actually can tell a lot about the grid health just by looking at, at what's happening on our network, what our network is seeing in terms of, of measuring the grid where it's connected to it. Yeah, and then uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what's going on in terms of um, smart grid transformation? And you mentioned, you know, in some cases there aren't a lot of sensors um, on the network. I know recently uh, or lately, it seems like our power goes out a lot just when it rains and then, um, you know, you're calling in and you're getting a text message from the power company and sometimes they say it's restored and it's not restored yet. So um What's what's going on um, to make some improvements there in terms of uh, making the grid a little bit smarter? I think, like we were just saying, Kelsey, the, the sensors are a big deal. The, the, you know, the cable power supplies that are in the neighborhoods, um, you know, there's about one of those for every 250 or so on average homes. Um, and even even more of them as we split nodes. There's hundreds installed every day. There's there's millions of them around the world, probably a million in the Americas, 600,000 maybe in the U.S., um, and they're really useful at, at seeing what the status of the grid is. And we can go to uh, gridmetrics.io, gridmetrics.io, and actually see some of the maps that um, and real-time notifications that we're making um, at Gridmetrics of the grid. Um, and just as there's you know 300 and some odd um, cable companies, there's actually like 3,000 some odd utilities. So to have one single view of all the utility power is a good start. Um, it's a good step in the right direction for, for smart grid transition. If we think about distributed energy resources, we call them DERs, distributed energy resources, those are things like um, solar panels that might be on your home or batteries that could be in your um, garage, like a battery wall, or even an electric vehicle you know, that has a battery in it or a generator that's outside the house. All of those devices are networked in some way. And, you know, like there's a smart thermostat in your house, let's say, and, and we're, our network is connected to more distributed energy resources than any in the world, any other network in the world. So we really have this unique opportunity to not only just connect these devices, but to orchestrate their behavior. And so if a power plant fails or a part of the grid fails, it's possible to have the rest of the grid react in a way that keeps the grid stable, keeps it up, keeps it working. Um, and that becomes more important as we put more renewables on the grid. If you think about the increase of wind and solar, um, we need to now be able to tell our devices that are out there, hey, this afternoon the sun's going to be shining, so why don't you do a lot of your charging of your electric vehicle this afternoon? Um, you know, give our devices that we've networked on our grid um, more information about when they can run to make the grid as clean as possible. 
Um, and this really allows the one-way flow of electricity of, that used to be in the past from central station to homes to really become two-way flows that are orchestrated in the sense of a conductor, you know, that's uh, using his baton to say, okay, you come on over here and okay, now you come on over there, um, all while maintaining um, comfort and for the needs of people like with transportation, et cetera. Um, this is an overdue idea that, that needs to come to fruition. Yeah, and just curious, are, are there any organizations uh, working on um, technologies that would um, tell consumers uh, when's the best time to um, run different appliances or maybe adjust their thermostat to reduce some of the load on the grid? Um, when should I be running my dishwasher, for example? And is, is anyone um, addressing that or, or is that not a big, big deal? What are your thoughts there? Kelsey, I think it's a huge deal, and it's a great question. Um, and we actually, in the Society of Cable Telecom Engineers, we created a standard called SCTE 267. Um, and in that standard, we define how you can communicate um, with devices um, and tell them exactly what you were saying. Um, it's a very, very simple standard compared to some of the other ones that are out there. Um, and it allows you to, let's say, if you're a smart thermostat, to receive a signal that says, hey, over the next 24 hours, um, you should use so much energy in each hour. And you can choose to do it or not. And if you, so it's completely voluntary. It's not draconian at all. If you do do it, you know, you know that you're using the cleanest energy possible, like clean in terms of green, but also that you're using the lowest cost energy possible. Um, and so, you know, combining that, that, you know, carbon reduction with cost reduction is something that most of us can relate to. Um, and of course, it, it kind of works not only for you on your electric bill, but then it works upstream in terms of making the what they call the transmission and distribution portions of the grid more efficient. Um, and that's kind of a traffic engineering problem, which we can talk a little more about. Are there any large scale examples of smart grids that are already in place that, that you can uh, talk about? Yeah, there's actually, um, you know, this idea of, of demand response. And, and Kelsey, it's kind of the thing you mentioned about like a device like a thermostat saying, oh, should I come on now or should I come on later? Um, that idea is not new. Demand response has been around since um, the 90s uh, and maybe even the late 80s. Um, and so there are millions of devices that are out there, maybe 12 million, something like that. Um, and think of them like hot water heaters, air conditioners, pool pumps. Um, and they're in places that tend to have an extremity, a geographic extremity, like Florida has the big peninsula. And so Florida Power was one of the pioneers and still has over a million people that are participating in demand response programs. Um, and they use a radio network to communicate um, to all the devices. So your air conditioner, your hot water heater, your pool pump will have a little adapter on it that listens over the air. What's different today is we can do that now at scale. Um, and we can do it interoperably. So if you think back of the days of uh, Scientific Atlanta and General Instrument and proprietary systems, kind of that's what the utilities have is a bunch of non-interoperable proprietary systems. And what we've introduced with SCTE 267 is true interoperability. So that doesn't matter whether you're a thermostat or a battery wall or electric vehicle, you're going to get the same signal at a particular location and can um, accommodate accordingly. To your question, Alan, all the um, states are trying to figure out how to do this at scale. Um, but really, the, the entire power industry is sort of still in that interoperable, not, I should say, non interoperable sort of proprietary legacy system kind of mode. 
Okay. How can cable operators and other broadband providers help with this transformation to smart grids? I think it really goes to uh, to networking. You know, use our networking skills. Um, for example, you can imagine that there's some Teslas out there, right, or that there's some Honeywell thermostats or uh, Nest thermostats that don't have a good connection, you know, a good Wi-Fi connection, right? I mean, that's just statistically that's happening. Um, and just just as we in the industry have been, you know, tackling Wi-Fi connectivity for the last, you know, almost two decades, uh, that kind of expertise we can bring to bear immediately to help um, electric utilities. You know, we could create a report that says, here's all the devices that are energy management devices that are not um, connecting reliably to the network. You may want to call your customers or, or you may want to um, have us use our managed router to take some actions that would make those devices connect more successfully. Um, so I think that's an example, Alan. Okay, thanks. Kelsey, I didn't mean yeah. to cut you off if you have another one. Oh, no, you're fine. Uh, I, I was just curious, um, kind of a tangential question, I suppose, but are, are there concerns on security around the smart grid um, and hackers uh, perhaps accessing some of these sensors and then getting into your devices, um, or or is it fairly secure? I think that it's got all sorts of security challenges, um, and it's a really good question. And I think if you consider um, many different solutions, uh, many different proprietary legacy solutions, you're going to end up with, by default, um, you know, security issues. Um, one of the things we did when we did the DOCSIS standard um, was we put in the ability for each modem to have a, you know, kind of a virtual private connection back to the CMTS. Right. And, and that has really served us well. Right. We started that with what we call baseline privacy and we went from there. Um, and so taking the, the, uh, the steps to make sure that these devices stay private is a big deal and that they are cyber secure is a big deal. And a lot of that has to do with the, the process by which they're going to be communicated with and with which they will be controlled in a sense. And I don't like to use that word because I like to have the devices be as, you know, voluntarily participating um, and let the customer reap the benefit if they do. Uh, but a lot of the protocols before SCTE 267 were requiring, for example, two-way communications, like, you know, the, the grid would talk to your thermostat and then your thermostat would talk back. Um, in, in, and that means there's two opportunities to hack the information flow. Um, and then with SCT-267, we made it so you could actually use one-way communications. So, for example, you know, just tell the thermostat what you want it to do. And if it does it, it does it. But the meter on the side of the house, you know, the smart meter, um, it's measuring usage all the time and, and records it in 15-minute intervals uh, in most locations. So it kind of knows whether the thermostat did something. The thermostat doesn't have to talk back. Uh, and, and I think that's a big deal in terms of, of keeping the system simple and cyber secure. And there's some other technologies that have come along. For example, if you imagine this broadcast signal of, a, of energy management uh, for the next 24 hours, you could actually send that from two locations. You know, you could send it on channel two and channel eight, right? Uh, you could send it from two different sources. You could send it over satellite. You could send it over FM radio. You could make it retrievable over the internet. And as such, you could tell the device like a thermostat, hey, don't take any action unless you hear the exact same signal from two independent sources, because it's less likely that they're both going to have been hacked. So, um, you know, radio stations and, and, uh, and Internet broadband data centers are secure facilities. So 
having that requirement, you know, it's kind of like multi-network authentication, multi-factor authentication. Okay. Where do you hope to be a year from now? I would like, that's a great question. I would like to see us um, having uh, done some really good deployments uh, in some of the more progressive states. I mean, certainly California, Texas, New York are all pushing hard for um, integrating distributed energy resources. And um, I would like to see us in the cable industry, broadband industry, partnered um, with the utilities in those markets and the um, providers, um, you know, Tesla, Nest, Honeywell, et cetera, um, to, uh, to make sure that we have them using our, our open standard in, uh, in SCT 267, um, showing that we can really scale um, and really proving that, that this is, has the ability to take us from the millions of devices that we have out there today that the, you know, the power industry has under management today to the billions of devices that they really need in order to make a difference. Um, so following that same trajectory of, of cable going from millions of modems to billions of modems, we need to sort of you know, take them on that same trajectory with us. We're good at that. We can do that. How long a period do you think it's going to take to, to, to make that switch over, to make that transformation? This is, I assume this I is a long-term really, thing. This is a 10, 20-year project. No? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think it will take years. Um, but I think a lot of it has to do with how much the cable industry gets behind um, the, um, the work that was done in SCT 267 and also 271, which is the grid monitoring standard. You know, the more we evangelize those to our brethren at the, at the uh, utilities, um, as well as the utility commissions, uh, public service commissions, um, you know, then the faster we're going to get a chance to put this stuff in the field and, and prove out how well it works. All right. Well, I, I feel like we've learned a lot here today. And, um, you know, thank you so much for joining us and, and taking all our questions. And, um, you know, I feel like we could talk about this for a really long time. So we'll have to have you on again soon. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we'll make it absolutely. a make it an annual thing. <laughs> you bet. So much. Uh, Bob, are there any additional resources or any other things that we should know about that uh, you can give us access to? Thank you, Alan. Yes, Tony Werner, David Fellows, Derek DiGiacomo, Frank Sandoval, and I just finished an SCTE Expo 22 paper that describes mm -hmm. what we covered today and goes over some of the next steps. And in short, you know, we can use our communications networks and SCTE 267 standard to make demand follow supply and mitigate congestion using all that we've learned in traffic engineering. And then we can also use SCTE 271 to identify grid faults and congestion. And all of that's covered in the paper. So I appreciate you passing the word. Sure. And, you, and I take it you'll be presenting that at Expo in Philadelphia next month? Yes. Really excited uh, to do that. Only a few weeks away now. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. About five Sounds weeks. good. Well, thanks. Um, we'll link to that uh, in the show notes and um, any other resources that you have. And thanks again for joining us and look forward to speaking with you again soon. Sounds great. Thanks Thank for your you time, guys. Bob. Yep. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye.